Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Do you think, do you believe that God puts specific people in your life at specific times for specific reasons? Now, many of you might not be convinced that he actually does that. And what I could do to convince you of that is point you to a lot of passages and a lot of promises that are found in scripture where God shows us that. But you really need not look any further than the life of King David. Over the past four weeks, we've looked at King David's life, a man that God calls a man after his own heart. And we've looked at his faith and his life and we've learned about our faith and our life and most importantly, our savior from him. And we've looked at it by comparing David's relationship every week with someone else's that he has. First week, we looked at David and King Saul and we looked at what it means to be a person after God's own heart. A person after God's own heart is someone who has God alone on the throne of the heart. David is someone who looked to God as his sole source of comfort, of joy, of goodness, of blessings, of peace. King Saul was not. In the second week, we looked at what a person after God's own heart does. David and Goliath was the story we looked at there and how David went out and he fought the Lord's battles knowing that the battle is the Lord's already. You win because Christ won. In the third week, we looked at Abigail and David. Maybe a, a Bible story not too many are familiar with, but someone who pointed David, who was turned in on himself and his glory and what he wanted, a woman who pointed David back to Christ, back to God, a woman who ultimately became his wife. In the fourth week, last week, we looked at David's relationship with Jonathan and what it means when people who are men and women after God's own heart have Christian friendships and how God blesses us with those friendships. If you want to know if God puts specific people in your life at specific times for a specific reason, look no further than 1st and 2nd Samuel. I want to encourage you to read these books. They're really good. Or at least go back and listen to the last four episodes on our podcast. God really shows himself to be blessing this man after God's own heart by providing people in his life to encourage him, to point him to God. But maybe some of you are already convinced that God does, in fact, put people in our life in certain times, in certain places, for certain reasons. But what I want to do today is give you one more person to think about that God puts into your life. Like I just mentioned, friends, a spouse, and maybe even an enemy we see as someone putting God puts in our life to direct us, to, to grow us as Christians but have you ever considered pastors? Does God put pastors in your life at a specific time in a specific place for a specific reason? We're going to look at one of the most infamous episodes in David's life to answer that question. We're going to see that God sent David's pastor, Pastor Nathan, the prophet Nathan, to David, and, and it'll be easy to show, yes, for David, 
God sent this pastor at a specific time in a specific place for him. And so really the question for us is this, it's our big question for the day. Do you need a pastor? Do you need a pastor at a specific time in a specific place for God to do something in your life? And you might be saying, great, this guy is about to preach a sermon that ensures he's got a job for the next couple of years. Of course, he's going to say, yes, you need a pastor. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to think a little deeper than that. If you've never thought about it before, why do we need pastors? Why do you need a pastor? What's the importance of having a pastoral presence in your life? That's our big question for the day. And like I said, we're going to be looking at an episode of David's life for that. But before we get there, let me tell you a story to kind of set the stage. It's a story about a domainer. Do you know what a domainer is? Well, it's a domain speculator. It's someone who goes out and buys a lot of online web domains in the hope that they can buy them for cheap and sell them for a profit. Maybe back in the day, someone who was a domainer would go online and try to snatch up Coke or Pepsi.com in the hopes that the Coca-Cola bottling company would have to come to them and say, hey, we'd like to buy that. We kind of need to buy that. And they'd make a pretty penny off of that. Some people call it an honest living. Other people call it extortion. But that's not the point today. What I want to tell you about is a domainer who purchased a number of different names and domain names when a new pope was coming in to be in charge and the head over the Roman Catholic Church. He bought a bunch of different names of what the name the the new pope might have picked and bingo, he got it right. And so, of course, what did the Vatican have to do? They came to this man and they said to him, we will give you a sum of money if you give us that domain name. Guy said, "I I don't want the cash. I'll give you the domain name. I just ask for one thing. I'm going to ask that the new Pope give me complete, no strings attached pardon for an entire week of my life. And they gave it to him. And we could talk for a second about all the theological implications of how that actually works and what's actually going on there. But for now, let me just ask you this. Can you relate to that domainer? You have a week in your life that maybe, just maybe if you could, you'd ask for it to be completely, no strings attached, 100% pardoned. Maybe you don't have any sins, glaring sins or scandals in your life, but do you have a day or maybe a season in your life where you're like, you know what, if I could have that one washed out, wiped away, I'd, I'd be okay with that. I'd submit to you that we all do that we all have a deep sense, a deep need for a little covering in our lives. Did you know that one of the most popular nightmares that individuals have, almost 50% of the North American population has had or will have this nightmare. It's the nightmare of showing up in a public place wearing not enough clothes. You know why psychologists and sleep experts say most adults will have that dream? It's because deep down, We're afraid to be exposed. We're afraid that something in our past that we did or said or thought is going to be uncovered. It's a real fear that we have. As I was thinking about how that fear shows up in our lives and maybe how it manifests itself personally on a not nightmarish level, one of the things I thought about is that 
that fear of being exposed of things that we've done coming up often comes out in the words we use, or rather the words we don't use. I'm talking specifically about the word sin. How many of you use that word in your daily language? How many of you say, you know what? I'm sorry, honey. I sinned. I sinned against you. How many of you look at what your kids do and go, you know what? That's, that is a sin. That's, that's wrong. No one really uses that word. In fact, what we do is we euphemize it. We use euphemisms for it. Just like we might say that uh, someone got let go instead of they got fired. Or we might say someone's vertically challenged instead of they're short. What we do for sin, because we don't want to talk about evil, is we call it a failure or a mistake. Or maybe we'll go so far as to say it's a moral failure or an oops or uh, something I didn't mean to do. But how often do we call it what it is? Sin, evil in the eyes of the Lord. You know, one plus one on your math homework and writing three is a mistake. An athlete who wants to go out, who tries their best, competes to win and yet doesn't win. Well, that's a failure. But sin is entirely something different. Most often what we call a failure or a mistake is actually a sin. And one of the ways that we try to cover up things that we wish were covered is by not calling them what they are, calling them mistakes, maybe life lessons. And that's what's going on as we pick up our sermon lesson today. We're going to pick it up, like I said, at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 11. Here's what we have going on. We have King David. King David, who, don't forget it, is a man after God's own heart, attempting to cover up a sin. He's covering up by calling it something that it was not. This is what happens. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, She mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. The story might be familiar to you, but if it's not, let me summarize it. How many of you have ever seen the Netflix series House of Cards? Okay, this is not a spoiler alert, but this is an episode straight out of that series. The series, without giving too much away, is about an adulterous, murderous, power-hungry man who does whatever he wants and covers it up all because he can. And that's what's going on with David. David sleeps with someone who's not his wife. And to make it even worse, the person whom he slept with was a close friend's wife. And then he gets her pregnant. And then to cover up that, he goes on this wild conspiracy to try to bring him home and act like it's his kid. And when that doesn't work, he goes so far as to plan another conspiracy with the commander of his army so that Uriah, the wife of Bathsheba, goes out to the front line. Everyone draws back and Uriah gets killed. Call it what it is. This is disgusting sin murderous, adulterous sin. And yet what you want to know what makes it even worse? The king chalks it up as a win. He plans it so that everyone forgets about it and everyone can just move on. 
Uriah moves on, of course, and Bathsheba and David, they're ready to move on. You want to know what the newspaper would have said in Jerusalem if you would have read it on the day that King David and Bathsheba got married? It would have said that the good King David shows love and care for a veteran's wife and marries her. That's what it would have said. Look at what the text said. Look at what the Bible says. It said they did the whole time of mourning. They acted as though they didn't have a clue what was going on. And then they brought him home and oh, she bore him a son. As though the child that they illegitimately consumed was just the result of consummating a happy marriage. That's what's happening here. David's covering this all up. But, but, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Everyone else in the entire universe did not know what was going on. David was ready to move on. It was covered over by David, except it was uncovered by just one person, just one being alone. And that was God. God was displeased with what David had done and God was coming for David. And if you don't know what happens in the story, you might be picturing God coming for David to be a really bad thing. That God's going to come and strike him with lightning. That God's going to come and infect his entire household with a plague. That God's going to come and allow some marauding army to just sweep through the city of Jerusalem. But that's not what happens. God doesn't send something to David. He sends someone. He sends his pastor. The Lord sent Nathan, the prophet Nathan, David's pastor, to him. And I don't know what you're picturing Nathan doing. Maybe he's grabbing his Bible and thumping it and giving him a real fire and brimstone servant where he's pounding on the altar and saying, David, if you don't repent, you're going to burn in the fires of hell. That's not what Pastor Nathan does. Now, he tells him a story, a very moving story, a story that I would go so far as saying is the most striking thing about the entire episode of David and Bathsheba's sins. Here's the story that Pastor Nathan tells. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing. He had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. He, it was like a daughter to him. How many of you know friends or family that have pets that treat it like one of their own children? That's what's going on here. And look what the man does. Now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb. He took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and he prepared it for the one who had come to him. You have a story about a little lamb that went missing. A little lamb that was dearly loved by an entire family, 
by the mom and the dads and the kids. It was the only lamb that they had and they took good care of it because they loved it and it provided for them. It gave them wool in the winter. They let it play in their house. They let it sleep in their bed. They gave it special food off of their table even though they didn't have much. And when no one was home, the neighbor came over thoughtlessly, arrogantly took the sheep and killed it. Became just pork loin for someone, not pork loin, lamb, for someone. That's what you have in this story. And I'm telling you, this missing lamb, it's the most striking thing about this entire story. And you might be saying, Matt, that's kind of crazy because look at this story and see what's going on. There's a man who takes his friend's wife, sleeps with her, and then murders him. Isn't there something we could learn from that lesson? But I'd submit to you that the deepest lesson that we can learn from this entire episode comes from the story of the missing lamb. It comes from that story because it teaches us something about our hearts. It teaches us something deep as we see it in David's reaction to this story. Look at how David reacts when he hears this. David, hearing this story, burned with anger against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. You can see Nathan sitting down, telling him this story. And David gets up, puts on his kingly outfit, grabs his kingly pen and starts writing a letter to the guards, telling him to go get this man. And he doesn't even know it's a hypothetical made up story. That's when David is told by Nathan to sit back down. And here's why. Because David, you're the man. You are that man. I said the most striking thing about this story is the story of the missing lamb because it what it teaches us about ourselves. You know how it goes, right? It's so easy and we are so good at looking at other people's sins. Call them what you want for a second. Call them failures, call them mistakes, call them lapses of judgment, but we are so good at pointing them out do you know that he does this? Did you know that she did that? We're good at it. But you know what we're bad at? We're bad at pointing out our own sins. It's because we lie to ourselves. David has so deceived himself that he is even calling on God's name in this situation, saying, as surely as the Lord's lived, this is what's going to happen. And he does not even recognize himself in the story of someone else. And that's why Nathan tells this story. That's why God sends Nathan to tell this story. If you're following along, this is our next fill in the blank, and that we are often self-deceived about who we are and what we do. We often tell ourselves lies. We often take what we do in our life and we rewrite the story. We twist the narrative and we rebrand it. It's what we do by calling sin instead of what it is, just a mistake, a failure or a learning experience. 
And that is why God sent Nathan to David. He sent Nathan to David so that the storytelling would stop, so that the rebranding and the cover-up would be over. It would stop. So my question is, what, what is going to make it stop for you? I don't know what stories or narratives you are retelling or rewriting for yourself, but what is it that's going to make it stop? What is it that's going to make you look at your life and ask, what parts of my life am I deceiving myself in? Where in my life am I rewriting the story? You know, maybe it's in a relationship, a relationship with an ex or maybe in a relationship with someone who's about to be your ex and you think and you look at them and you say, you know, they are so cruel. They're so unkind to me. And you never really stop and examine yourself and think that, you know what? I bring my own personal toxicity into this relationship as well. You know, maybe it's something you did years ago, something you did with someone. Maybe it was one night, maybe it was a summer, but you say, you know what? We were just kids. We didn't know any better. But you know what you did and you know it was a sin against God. You stole innocence from someone, from someone that God loves and someone who is not now your spouse. Maybe it's something you said this weekend or, or just a little while ago. You're getting together with a group of friends and you let it slip, but you, you didn't really try to hold back a piece of gossip that you know would change your relationship with that person and the person you told it to. But you tell yourself anyways, you, you know what? It's true. They would have found out anyways. What we do all the time is we take the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we think, and we rewrite the story around them. We, we change the narrative and we twist it. There's a line from the movie, A Few Good Men's. It says, we can't handle our own truth. And I think that connects so well to, with, to what we're talking about today because we can't handle that. If we were to actually admit that what we did caused real sin and real evil in people's lives, that real people cried, real people had relationships ruined or ended because we did, it would hurt. If we really, really told the truth to ourselves instead of rewriting it, we'd have to come face to face with the fact that we stole. We stole something that wasn't ours. We coveted something that didn't belong to us. We slapped God in the face and really despised his grace. Yeah, coming face to face with our truth is difficult. It hurts and it stings. And that's why I want you to pay attention to what God does. God when David has to come face to face with his truth, when the truth of what he did comes crashing down with him, what does he do? He puts him in the presence of his pastor. Nathan said to David, David, you are the man. And if you're tracking with me still, if you're still paying attention and doing the math, that's really what's happening here. Because that's what we do when this faith family gets together. We're real about sin. And I'm a pastor. And I'm telling you that the sexual sins you committed are wrong. 
I'm telling you that the gossip is, it's actually evil. It's a sin. I'm telling you that it wasn't just a mistake or merely a moral lapse or failure. It was a sin and it separates you from God. And you took something from someone that God loves and God is not okay with it. And here we are. Here you are. And here I am, a pastor. And I'm telling you this, and maybe for the first time, you're untwisting the narratives that you've been telling yourself. You're coming face to face with the truth and not an altered version of the story. And maybe you're starting to feel what David felt the weight of your sin. Nathan spoke to David in this way, and then David replied with this. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. What took place was confession. What took place was an admittance that what he did wasn't merely just a mistake, a a youthful, blissful mistake or goof up. What he actually did was sin against the Lord. And now you're starting to see the importance of having a pastor the importance of this confession taking place in the pastor because the two next words that take place are very, very important and you need to catch them. Here they are. Nathan replied. Note what it does not say because in these two words are some of the most good grace of God that you will ever see. Nathan replied. Nathan didn't come as the executioner. That's not what it says. It doesn't say that Nathan came as the judge and jury. And it doesn't say that Nathan then tweeted out to the entire kingdom what King David did. It doesn't even say that Nathan walked away and let David sit and wallow in his shame. No, what it says is that Nathan replied. That is why having a pastor is important. Nathan replied, and I don't think that it's any mistake that God put Nathan in this place at this time for this reason. And I don't think that it's a mistake that God has put us in this place at this time for a reason, because guess what? God doesn't do mistakes. Because if there's one thing that we know to be true about humanity is that when we deal with deception, oftentimes we replace one self-deception with another. And what happens when we get done dealing with the deception that what we did as a sin is actually evil and wrong, and we stop calling it something that it wasn't, and we stop rewriting the story, and we come face to face with the truth of what we did, a new deception sets in, and you got to catch this one, because it's, it's where a lot of Christians spend time that maybe God won't forgive this one, that maybe I'm not deserving of God's grace after that one or this time. And maybe God doesn't, maybe God doesn't love someone who does the things that I do. And now you're starting to see the importance of having a pastor Because it's at this time, at this place where Nathan comes and he replies to David with these words. He says, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. 
Nathan, Pastor Nathan comes into David at this moment in this time and he says, the Lord has taken away your sins. You are not going to die. David, your sins, the cover-up that you've been doing, it has been covered by God. It has been completely taken away 100%. You see, God sent this specific person at this specific time to share this specific truth, the greatest truth that there is, that David, yes, even your sins are forgiven and you are not going to die. And you want to know something? That's what God wanted David to hear. And that's what God wants you to hear. He wants you to hear that very same message. You want to know why I know that? You want to know why I'm absolutely 100% sure of that? It's because I'm here. I have been sent here. I've been called here to tell you that. You can, you can say a lot of things about me. They'd probably be true. You can say a lot of things about me as a person and a lot of things about me as a pastor. That maybe I'm too young to be a pastor. That maybe I'm too young or too irresponsible to have this much authority, this much spiritual authority over a Christian community. You can say a lot of things that I'm too much of or too little of, that I'm this and not that, and you're probably right. A lot of them would be true. Maybe you think this isn't how a pastor should talk or dress, or it isn't the exact picture of what you think a pastor should look like. And you're right. With all of this, I'm no different than anybody else. Equally, as every other person on the face of the earth, I need the blood of Christ to cover me. But understand this. God doesn't do mistakes. God does not do accidents. He doesn't do churchy randomness. And in the same way that God sent Nathan to David, God has sent me here. He has called me here and he has called me here to you and for you. And he has called me here and I have with me a message from the most high King. And it is a message for you. It is a message that the Lord has taken away your sins and you are not going to die. I said the most striking part of this entire story is the part about the lamb. But I said that not because I wanted to talk about a made up hypothetical lamb, but I wanted to tell you about a different lamb a lamb that didn't come from a poor guy's house, a lamb that came from God's house, a lamb that was loved by God the Father and held in the arms of God the Father from the beginning of the world, from the creation of the world, and a lamb who came, and a lamb who came and didn't just sacrifice itself to end up as someone's meal, but a lamb who sacrificed himself to make you one with God to make you right with God, to ensure that you would never die. Look, It's the Lamb of the God who takes away the sins of the entire world. It is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ who lived for you and died for you and now lives for you so that you will not die and all of your sins have been removed. This is our question for today. Do you need a pastor? I suppose maybe that's not really that helpful of a question because you know what any pastor is going to say about that. So let me ask it maybe a little bit differently. 
think about this. Do you need someone in your life? Someone in your life who is dedicated their entire life to one thing, to letting you know the good news that your sins are forgiven. If you've ever sinned, if you've ever done something that God doesn't want you to do, then the answer might be yes. Yes, you need a pastor. And just so I'm clear for just a second, a pastor is not the only person who can tell you this good news that we call the gospel, the message that your sins are forgiven and you are right with God. But let me just make this comparison if I can. You don't need to go to a doctor. If you have a broken arm and something's sticking out or it's bent and you say, hey friend, is there something wrong with my arm? No, they can tell you it's broken. But you go to the doctor, why? Because you trust them. You trust that they are going to do a thing that fixes your arm. You're driving down the road and your vehicle is making a clunky noise. You don't need to take it to a mechanic to tell you it ain't working right. You get it. You can hear it. But you go there because you trust that they're going to do a thing that fixes it. And maybe that's the case for you. You're driving down the road of life and and you know there's some things that are broken in your life. You know there's some narratives that you are rewriting and maybe you don't need a pastor to tell you that. But the way God has set up his church is that it's the most natural place, this community of Christians, to come and say I'm sinful and and I'm broken and the most natural person to tell you that the solution to all your problems, the solution and the answer to life's biggest questions are in the good news of God. That's the importance of having a pastor in your life. Look, and I'm telling you, this is why it's important to look for a Christian community that talks about sin that talks about sin because without talking about sin, you can't ever know the really, really good news that God gives you. That those sins, they've been removed and you are not going to die, but you're gonna live. Listen, there's a lot of things that you could maybe give as a job description for a pastor. And I don't know how you would define a pastor's role or how you maybe thought of a pastor before today. But when people look for a pastor, maybe they look for a lot of things, a lot of different things. They look for someone who can be a caring counselor. Maybe all they want in someone is someone that can be an impressive preacher, a talented teacher, or maybe someone who is a strong servant leader. I don't know what you're looking for in a pastor or what you look for in me as your pastor. But if I can be just one thing, I would like to be someone for you that lets you know without a shadow of a doubt, that lets you know over and over and over again so that you never forget it. Do you have a heavenly father who is cheering you on, who loves you, and you have a Lord who has taken away all your sins? And you're not going to die, but you are going to live. You are going to live for eternity with him starting now. Amen.